Yeah, well, these go with the Old Testament references we saw to the prophets, yes, but what else? What is the living water of the church? Baptism. Okay? And notice, we've had this theme of water in John. First we had the baptism of Christ. Then we had the changing of water into wine. Then Nicodemus comes on the scene, and we have, Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. And now we get the Samaritan woman, and Christ identifies himself as the source of living water. So it's constant repetition, this theme of baptism. Okay? And what happens in baptism? You die and become more Good. Harris, good stuff. Where did you learn that, Harris? What did he say? Come on. In the youth group, right? No, okay. What did he say? He says you die and you're born again. Okay, so we leave behind our old selves and we're reborn in Christ. Okay, and that's this whole bringing together these two things we've developed of the spirit and the flesh, or grace and creation. Okay, all these parallels in John between the natural order and the supernatural order. Okay, we're taking the old and bringing it to newness of life. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask you baptism? Sure. Um, if it's quick. Tonight, my uh, sister-in-law had a miscarriage. Uh-huh. Uh, Five-month uh, term baby. And uh, we were set upon to uh, figure out what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And one of my Protestant friends asked me, do you have to, do you have to baptize a, uh, a baby? Or what's the consequence of where that baby goes? All right, you know what? We're not going to deal with that question except to say that we leave it to the mercy of God. Okay, we commend the soul to the mercy of God. Okay, because that's a way too broad. That's a huge question. Okay, we could go on for days and days on that one. Yes? Okay, well, we'll talk about it later if you want, afterwards. Okay. Okay. What was I saying? Baptism and belief, being reborn. Okay. Notice also that that in each of these um, in the, in these scenes, we're not talking about leaving behind the natural order, but we're ta- talking about bringing the natural order and lifting it up, bringing inspiring or bringing the spirit into it to make it be what it's supposed to be. Okay. Water is no longer a source of natural life. It becomes a source of supernatural life. Water becomes a vehicle through which God works to bring about the salvation of men. Okay? So it's not that we're setting aside the natural order, but we're lifting it up. Christopher Lane. Nice to see you. This is a good friend of mine that was in my wedding. He hails from uh, St. Louis. Um, and from what? Uh, um, all right, so verse uh, verse 43. Sheila, go ahead. After the two days, he departed to Galilee, where Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Okay, hold on. First of all, after two days, he departed to Galilee. That connects us to what other text in the story? The Samaritan woman. This, how does it connect us to the Samaritan woman? Because then, right before he came in, right before the two days. Point us to the verse. Verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, or verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Okay, and that connects us back to chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained them and baptized, which also connects us back to the Passover feast, right? When he went up to Jerusalem. So I, I, I want you to understand this whole story is in one text that we've been working on. Okay, it's very short. And all these story, all these little stories are fitting into it. It's all one text that has to be read together in that manner. Okay? Verse chapter 4, verse 43. After the two days he departed to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Okay, now why did he go to Galilee? Get away from Judea. Yeah, you get away from Judea. So there's this tension going on with Judea. And so he goes up to Galilee, which is his own country, right? He goes to his own country, and it says, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Stop. Yeah. Does that make sense? Jesus that, testifies that prophets are not accepted in their own country, and then all of a sudden they welcome him. Okay? Well, we got to keep reading. The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. First of all, what feast? Passover. Way back at the cleansing of the temple. Okay? And so, how are we to interpret that text? How are we to understand that? Okay. Jesus prophesies that a prophet has no honor in his own country and suddenly he comes and they welcome him and they honor him. What's that? And no, I don't think so. Okay, John's playing it up here that this is his own country. Okay. They, How are we to understand it? They don't recognize him. They don't see that he's a prophet. Okay, maybe. That's, that's a possibility. What else? What else? Then they're welcoming him as what? As God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, George, that's a possibility. What else? Are they welcoming him to try to get something out of him? All right, so there might be something within the welcoming that may be lacking. Okay? And in fact, there's a key, even in that sentence, that ought to tell you that there's something lacking. They've seen all he did, which means what? They want to see signs. They've seen the signs. Alright, they're on the it means they're on the level of what? They're on the natural level. Okay, you see we have the tools now. It's just a matter of reading with these tools, and the text is gonna come out. <coughs> Verse 45. So when he came to his own, uh, let's see, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him and seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Um, verse 46. Go ahead, Shiva. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The 
man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. All right, what do you have to say about that? Exactly, right? You can see, just reading the text, it tells verse 48. Jesus therefore said to them, him, unless you, and the you there is in the plural, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. What do you have to say about that? Is that good or bad? That's very good. Yeah. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son, that his son was, uh, was living. So he asked them the hour when he began to mend, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father uh, knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay. There's a couple parallels here that, um, that we need to be aware of. Let me read you a little bit of a commentary on this text. It's a little bit long, but don't be through it. The Samaritan, the Samaritan interlude reminds the reader again of who Jesus really is. The Messiah, the one who has been sent by his Father to reap a crop for eternal life. The Savior of the world. It also makes the large-scale failure of Israel to come to terms with Jesus all the more tragic. Despised Samaritans turn to Christ, while many of the historic covenant community either actively oppose him or cannot progress beyond a fascination for miracles and politics. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Thus, for the evangelist, um, verse 43 through 54, which is what we just read, round out a theme begun in chapter 2. Indeed, John provides several allusions to chapter 2, as if he is self-consciously completing an inclusio. What's an inclusio? Thanks, Harris. What's an inclusio? What's that? What's an inclusio? Con. When he says the same thing at the beginning and the end. Yeah, exactly. It's a frame. Okay, it's the frame that frames a picture, and that and that frame on both ends helps you interpret what's going on in the middle. Okay, so look what he what he, sh- what he shows is the parallel parallels. There's a reference to Cana, white caravan, white brown, white brown uh, caravan, caravan kind of vehicle. Yes, no, it's a baby mover. All right, whatever, it's fine. Look at this. Turn to chapter two, but keep your hand in chapter four. Okay, we're going to go back and forth real quick. Carrie, you're going to read us from chapter 2, and Peter's going to read us from chapter 4. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 1, Carrie. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Okay, so there's a reference to Cana. Look at chapter 4, verse 46. Keeping your hand in chapter 2. And he came again, therefore, to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water of wine. Okay, so this intentional reference to both things, okay? Um... um He mentions in the, okay, the, there's in chapter two there's this there's the whole miracle of the changing of water into wine. And in chapter four that reference that is brought out again, what Peter just read. Okay, in verse 46. Carrie, chapter two, verse 23 through 25. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. 
but Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them. Okay, and then verse 45, Peter, chapter 4, verse 45. And when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he had done in Jerusalem on the festival day. Which we just said, right? Believe based upon signs. Okay? <laughs> chapter 2, verse 11 here. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. Okay, so there's a reference, it's the first of his signs. And Peter's in chapter 4? 54? Uh, yeah, I guess. This is again the second miracle there you go. did when he was coming out of Judea into Galilee. So, what, so this, this commentator is saying, look, there's these explicit references on both ends, this frame for us. It kind of com completes the story. And we have all these stories to meditate on in between. Okay? So an intentional inclusio. While once again Jesus is presented as, as the one who gives life, the dark colors that surround this healing, speaking of the official sun, okay, the dark colors being the unbelief of the people, okay? The dark colors that surround this healing um, anticipates the rising polarization in Israel, the multiplying animus that ultimately drives towards the cross. He may have been popular in Samaria, but he presses on to his own padres, where public sentiment will finally take him to Calvary. Okay? So that's an important last sentence because this whole text in John is driving toward the cross. But the driving toward the cross is happening kind of behind the story. If we have the tools to read, we can see this, this division among the Jews taking place. And it's getting more and more, in a sense, set in stone of who's for him and who's against him. Who can believe and who can't. And the rest of the whole story of John is just going to keep driving toward the cross like that. And it's not going to let up. Every story is going to become more and more of a battle and a fight. And that fight's going to come more and more to the surface until it ultimately starts getting in, into a, a, a verbal battle between Jesus and the Jews. Where they go, for, they go finally to words and then, well, finally to blows, you might say, okay, when they go to the cross. Okay, so this whole text is driving toward the cross. Um, what else can we say about that? The, the fathers see in the official, in, in the faith of the official, something of a development of faith, just like we've seen with the other, with Nicodemus, right? And the Samaritan woman, the more they stay with Christ, the better off they are. Okay? And some of them give a pretty bad reading. I think it's Augustine's reading. Just nails this guy for unbelief. Okay? It seems maybe a little bit unfair to me. But why do they say that? Let's see. Look at verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Okay? And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word. Where would where you see maybe some, that at the beginning, when the, when the official comes to him at first, there's something lacking in that. If you want to give him a really bad reading, I'm saying it's what the church fathers do. So, is there some sort of a development of belief we can see? Okay, well, let's go back to verse, to, to, uh, verse 46. 
So he came again to Canaan and Galilee, where he had made the water wine. At Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When he heard that Jesus come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. What's what's the what's what's John trying to get this guy to do, or what is Jesus trying to get this guy to do ultimately? To believe how? <laughs> to have faith in what? In signs? In seeing the thing? No. In his word. Okay? And yet this, this man says what? Come, come down and heal my son. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what the pretty consistent interpretation of the fathers is. That at first he wants to see the thing happen, to see the sign, and then ultimately he ends up accepting Christ's word. He says, go, and your son will be healed. He accepts his word and go. Now, I didn't go pull out a bunch of quotes on that because I think it's a, maybe a it could be a little bit of a stretch. I mean, the guy's, the guy's on track, and ultimately he comes to full faith. Okay? Chapter 5. Well, if we'd get here on time, we would have been started on time. All right, Jennifer, chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I'm not going to make a lot of comments about this. We're going to read most of this. Just read it. Don't make a couple comments. Go ahead. You sure? Yeah, I promise. Now there is that now there is in Jerusalem by a sheep gate a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, which has five porticos. And these lay in multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool where the water is troubled. And while I am going down another step down before me, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your pallet. Okay, let me come in. Before we get into that whole thing, let me go ahead and read St. Cyril of Alexandria. There is clear evidence of the great goodness of Christ in that he does not wait for entreaties from the sick, but anticipates the request with his own loving kindness. See how he runs to the one who is lying down, and how compassionate he is to the to one who is sick with no one to comfort him. But, but the inquiry as to whether he would like to be relieved of his infirmity was not that of one asking out of ignorance what was obvious, but of one stirring up an increased desire and diligent entreaty. The question as to whether he wanted to obtain what he longed, what he longed for is huge. It has the kind of force and expression that conveys that Jesus has the power to give and is now ready to do so, only waiting for the request of the one who will receive this grace. It's beautiful, because it very much applies to all of these stories in the text that we've been reading, and also applies to us, because Christ never forces himself upon us. Okay? He stands there waiting to bestow his grace, but he waits for the desire of our heart to be strengthened, till we really want him. Okay? So, anyways, all of these texts, though, are images of that. Okay? Especially as we, as we make our way, for example, through the seasons of Lent, okay, in pre- preparation for the great feast. That those times of suffering for us, those times that build up our desire, our fulfillment for him. Okay? Go ahead, let's read it. 
Jennifer, read it for us. Give us the verse. It said, the verse. It is the Sabbath that is not lawful for you to carry your pouch. Okay, and he says, The man who healed me said to him, said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? Okay, so so what's he doing? First of all, how are they how are they dealing with him? Here's a man that has just been healed. And what is their primary concern? Their only concern? You're breaking the law. The law. They don't even care. The man was just is now standing and walking in the glory of God. The man's healed, and they could care less. Okay? And they say to him, Well, you're breaking the sound. And then what's he say? I mean, what? Yeah, guys, I'm, I'm healed. I just got healed by the screen. Man, look at him. You gotta go after him. What do they say? He made me do it. He told, yeah. He told me to do it. So he kind of ducks the question, okay? And points to Jesus. Well, just, obviously the man has authority at point. All right, maybe. All right, all right. Okay. It's almost a power contest then. Because it's like, you know, they and their law say this, and he's saying, well, this guy supersedes that, so. That might be, okay, that's a possibility. This okay. happened with the lepers, too. The one leper was called in mm-hmm. to account for how he was healed. And or the blind man. The, parents, yeah. Yeah. the blind man. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. exact reaction. Same exact yeah. They were all free. Exactly. But yeah, it's even worse there. The story is, by that point, it's just it's better. Yeah. Actually, I just have a logistical question. Okay. What's the palette? Oh, it's so the thing they want. What license do we have? It's the thing, you know, the forklift lifts up, you know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's the uh, thing they carry the person on. It's Sabbath. And the reason is, what you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath is anything associated with your, with your occupation. Okay, there's certain exact laws at that stage that Jews had laid out. And we don't need to get into it, but technically he's not breaking the law. Okay? He's definitely not breaking the Mosaic law. And the question is whether he's breaking the Jewish tradition. Okay, the Pharisaical tradition. Okay, but even there, uh, some commentators I was reading saying he's not actually breaking the law. But, um, but anyways, more importantly than that is is that they are totally on the natural level, and this guy shifts the blame to Jesus. Okay, so let's keep reading that text very carefully. Read the next verse. Just tell us the verse number. Um, I'll go back to eleven. of your sins? No, I think he's trying to does God, does God punish us for... Were all the people at 9-11 killed because they were sinners? Well, look, at, look how we are. Oh, you're, 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 you're,
What's that? One of the busiest days of the week for shopping and this and that is on the Sabbath. Okay, so you're saying, I mean saying that we're all that all these people are gonna are gonna die no, terrible. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I don't know. Carrie, go ahead. Is he maybe telling him to go ahead and continue following the Jewish law so that the Pharisees don't do anything to No, he's just thinking. What do you think that? I think he's trying to tell him what could be worse is sin. That's worse than physical So nothing worse than being you. He may have made something on the supernatural level. Okay, so there may be there may be a couple things going on here. I think the first question that we'd want to answer is, was his former state due to sin? Is that what the text is indicating? No. No, He is this somehow he has sinned in the past and therefore no. Yeah, do not do it. Something worse may call you. Now that you Okay. Because sin does something worse to you. When you sin, what happens? You're you hurt yourself. You good. Okay. You'll be separated from God, which is more worse. Okay, that not only you will be fallen in the bodily state. Right? That your body will be dead, because that's basically what it was, right? But that if you if you live a life of sin in the future, your soul will die, and something definitely worse than has befallen you. Okay? But I think also there's something going on in the text with the Pharisees and this man and Christ's warning. Why is it right now that our Lord brings up the state of the man's soul? Why is it right at this point that he brings this up? Trying to warn them to not follow the Pharisees. To do what? To not follow the Pharisees. Okay, is that a, is that a possible? Is that possible? Uh, I think it might be. Or okay. I kind of like, or not like what Carrie said, but about the, you know, now that people are watching you, don't send any further because they're so about the law that they could do something worse to you because of this. But why is but why is Christ warning him right now about the life of sin? something going on in a man's soul right now. A battle taking place within his soul right now. And what's the battle? Whether he's going to follow Christ or follow who? And what's he doing right now in the text? He's pointing, yeah, exactly. He's pointing out Christ and saying, it's that man. Okay? It's that man. They're, they're searching, look, they're searching the text to kill him. Okay. You think he's afraid? Though? Maybe. I oh, I think definitely to be afraid. Yeah. Can you find a Genesis parallel with finger pointing? That's a possibility, but I think that takes me on our school. All right. So anyway, so I'm just saying that it's, 
So what the, the, the thing going on there is not necessarily that the man is was paralyzed because of sin, okay? But that Jesus is warning him, hey, don't go down the road of that you're on right now, okay? Where you're pointing me out, where you're try, where you're becoming treacherous with those men. Okay? Because you will not only lose your body like you had lost, but you will now lose your soul. Because it is only through Christ that eternal life will be given. Well, and Jesus had to pull in the supernatural. I mean, up until that point, all that had happened is he'd been healed by this guy. Right. And there wasn't any anything beyond that. Right. Well, that's, that, yeah, that's there actually... Would have been, there wouldn't have been much point to the miracle if it didn't lead to something supernatural. That's true, right? The, the, the natural things are always leading to the supernatural, okay? And that's true to all of these stories in John. Okay, He's taking the natural, he's taking the physical, he's taking the man and building him up and making him to be what he's supposed to be. And that's going to be true right in the next story. Okay, that Christ is leading us from the natural to the supernatural. Again, there's nothing wrong with the body. There's nothing wrong with the natural level. But there's something wrong when it hasn't been led to the spirit and been made what it's supposed to be. Okay, because nature is supposed to communicate the glory of God to us. Okay, to communicate the life of God to us. Yeah. Oh, what's the motive of this man? We know that Judah, okay, leader Roman to mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. But what's this man? What's the motive? I, I don't know. I think was it Peter's in? He was scared. I, I think he may have been. I mean, things are getting bad here, and I think the man might be a little bit scared in the situation. Okay, I don't know. Who knows? It's impossible to say. Okay. Um, all right, Sheila. Read us uh, where we stop. Verse, okay, read us from verse uh, 15. From verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews persecuted Jesus, because he did this on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working still, and I am working. This is why the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his Father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so there's, uh, we get to the, the divine point with Christ, and it, it is important to understand that when you're reading the text, always watch the reaction of the people. Because they're going to tell you mostly about what's taking place. Okay, so they're reacting, they're hearing what he's saying. Okay, and they're hearing himself call himself divine. Okay, it's, it's a good one with the Jehovah's Witness too right there. Okay, St. Augustine. In one sense, the Jews were right about their indignation because a man dared to make himself equal to God. But they were also wrong because they did not understand that it was God in the man. They saw the flesh, but they did not know God. They looked on the dwelling place, but they did not know the dweller. Okay, again, that struggle to... to Behold what looks like a man and believe in the reality that is there present. That goes beyond the natural level. Okay? They saw a man standing before them and what Christ asked them to do was to have faith in his word that he had seen the Father and they would see the Father if they gave themselves to him. They would see what he sees. Okay? 
This you know the, our, our great you know mantra against the Protestants or whatever. Chapter six of John, but the Gospel of John is really building a whole background here, an interpretive background. Okay, and this is a prime example. They saw the natural, but they could not see within it the supernatural. Okay, and John's whole point is to take this natural, the natural level, and to build it up, not to wipe it out. Okay. And so, um, it, it's the same with uh, being born of the flesh and born of the spirit, right? It's the man being born of the waters of baptism, but a new reality is taking place within the soul, right? Remember this, when he talks about, to Nicodemus about the spirit not being seen with physical eyes, okay? So there's this natural, which is leading to the supernatural, Okay? That's a, that's a great point about the Eucharist. I'll read that last sentence one more time because it's helpful. But they were also wrong because they did not understand that it was God in the man. They saw the flesh, but they did not know God. They looked on the dwelling place, but they did not know the dweller. Okay, remember Nicodemus, we know who you are. And Jesus says, no, you don't. Okay? All right. Um, that's all right. my baby. I sounded on my desk today. I didn't know I was sitting there. So, oh, that's nice. I'll stick it up here. Okay. Um, Peter, go ahead. Which verse? Verse 19. We're just going to go ahead and read through. I'm not going to make a whole lot here. Go ahead. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, the Son can't do anything of himself but whatever he sees the Father doing. For whatever he sees... For what things he does see, these the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things which he himself does. And greater works than these will he show him, that you may wonder. Okay, as Peter's reading, I'm not going to say anything. I just want you guys to use the interpretive background that we've had here. That all these talks about sight and knowledge and following Christ and what happens to you when that takes place and the light and the darkness, all of those things. Now, whenever John goes into these long uh, texts where they seem to ramble, is he's tying all of these things in together. Okay, so go ahead, Peter. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things which he himself does. And greater works than these will he show him, that you might wonder. For as the Father raises up the dead and gives life, so the Son also gives life to whom he will. For neither does the Father judge any man, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all men may honor the Son as they honor the Father. He who honors not the Son honors not the Father who has sent him. Amen, amen, I say to you, that he who hears my word and believes him that sent me has life everlasting, and comes not into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Amen, amen, I say unto you, the hour, hour comes and net is now, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has given to the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him power to do judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Wonder not at this, for the hour comes, wherein all that are in the graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that have done good things shall come forth unto resurrection of life. But they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment. I cannot of myself do anything. As I hear, so I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He sent to John, and he gave testimony to the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater testimony than that of John. For the works which the Father has given to me to perfect, the works themselves which I do give testimony of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who has sent me has given testimony of me. Neither have you heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. For you have not his word abiding in you. For, for whom he has sent, him you believe not. Search the scriptures, for you think in them to have life everlasting, and the same are they that give testimony of me. And you will not come to me that you may have life. I receive not glory from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. Oh, you see, I mean, our words is going right out. So what part for having soft and kind words, right? Okay, go ahead, Peter. I have, I have come in the name of my Father, and you receive me not. If another should come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive glory one from another, and the glory which is from God alone you do not seek? What's the glory that comes from God? Christ. Yeah, remember in the prologue, right? He is the glory of the Father. Go ahead. Think not that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you did believe Moses, you would believe me also, for he wrote of me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay. So, okay, pretty harsh, harsh words. What is this about? Why is he going for Moses here? That's good, though, right? They'll relate to, yeah, they'll relate to Moses. What else? What else in the context of what has just happened? Yeah, he wrote the law, and their reference, in the, in their their whole argument here about the paralytic is about the law, right? We're going to see that that comes out a little bit later in the text. We're going to have an opportunity to comment a little bit more about this paralytic guy, finally in chapter, I think, chapter 7, okay, because the story comes back again. Okay, just like we've been holding one story all the way to chapter 5, we're kind of entering a new story, and it's this battle about the paralytic, Okay. So, but who, he says in verse, in verse 45, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. It is Moses who accuses you, on whom you set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. What's he talking about? In Deuteronomy what? Chapter 18. Good, Deuteronomy chapter 18, right? He will Yes, are you all on the same page with me? Let's just go there real quick. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. You're always on top of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chapter 18, verse 15. Chris, you want to read that for us? Uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brethren, him you shall be. Just as you desired that the Lord your God had heard on the day of the assembly, when he said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They have rightly said all that they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet, like you, from among your brethren, 
and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not give heed to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Okay, keep going, because this is, well, just read this in, in light of all that's going on in John. Go ahead. But the prophet presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word which the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Okay, and in John, there's this whole battle going on about what Jesus is saying about himself, right? And the signs that he's performing. And they're constantly going to call him and say to him, if you are who you're saying you're claiming to be, we want to see evidence of it. And continually they see evidence of it, and they do not believe him. Okay, so they become accused by their own law, by the writings of Moses, whom they set their hope on. They set their hope on that very text. Okay, and here it is before him. The, ev- them. the evidence is given, and they do not receive it. Okay, all right, go back to John chapter 6. But Moses is yeah. talking to the prophet, and this is Christ. He's not a prophet. What's a prophet? Sorry, Lewis. Yes, Not just tells the future. He speaks the words of God to the people. Jesus is a prophet, absolutely. And Jesus is a great man. That's true. Right? Jesus is a great man, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Right? They love their, their great book, um, The Greatest Man That Ever Lived. Right, they have, he's out there in the butterfly fields, you know, with this. Anyways, and uh, the greatest man that ever lived. And it's true, he is. He's also a prophet, right? He's also the Messiah. He's also the Son of God. The third person, or the second person of the light recorded. All right, so, so yes, he is a prophet, okay? He's a prophet like Moses, but greater. It's just okay. like he's a man, but he's much more than a man. And he's also, he's a prophet, he's much more than a prophet. Okay, now if Christ is the prophet, a prophet like Moses, what's he going to do? We already talked about this one time in here. What's he going to do? If he's a prophet like Moses, what did Moses do? You've read the story of Moses together. What did Moses do? He led the people out of Egypt. All right, the Exodus, good. Okay, which was all about what? Exodus from Egypt, from slavery and sin, right? Slavery, not just physical slavery, but spiritual slavery, right? What else did Moses do? Good. Okay, he fed the manna. Something's gonna be very important for us in this next chapter. What's Jesus about to do in chapter six? Multiply the loaves and fishes, right? What else did he do? Call himself the right one. What's that? Moses didn't call himself the bread of life. No, 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 no. But he provided for them in the manna, it says bread of life, right? He gave them natural life, 
Okay? But again, as Christ is going to point out, that they still die in the desert, in the wilderness. Right? What else did Moses do? What was his first, what, well, not his first sign, but what was one of the great signs that parallels what Christ is doing? In the wedding at Cana, he changed the water of the Nile into what? Blood. Into blood. Right? And Christ changes the water at the wedding at Cana into wine, which becomes a symbol of his blood. So a sign of his blood. Yeah. You said Jesus is just doing everything Moses did on a supernatural level. I'm saying he's fulfilling all of these things Moses did, right? He led them through the Red Sea, which St. Paul says is what? A type of? Of baptism, right? They went through the baptism in, in the Red Sea and left behind them the, the, the sins of their former life. Okay? You mean all that background? Right. Absolutely, right? And, and Christ is here, and John is intentionally pointing to Jesus as the new Moses. Okay? And remember, they had to trust Moses' words, okay, in order to leave Egypt. And what did they do consistently? They praised him, oh, you're great, Moses, and then what? No, 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 they slid back, right? Back and forth, back and forth. Okay? What else did Moses do? He gave them the Passover lamb. And what did they do with the Passover lamb? They killed it. And what did they do after they killed it? They had to eat it. Okay? And it became food for their journey across the wilderness to the land of paradise. Okay? To Jerusalem, the land of promise. So with all of these parallels in the background and all of these things we've been talking about in John, okay, we now enter into John chapter 6 and the multiplication of the loaves and fishes and ultimately into the Eucharist. Okay? And Harris is looking at my clock because I'm out of time. We were supposed to cover the Eucharist today. I didn't say anything. Did everyone talk about the Moses? Oh, ooh, yeah, that's good stuff. About to get to that. They turned against him big time. Okay, in the desert. We gotta be done. You guys gotta go home, right? Yeah, yeah, it's time. Look, we'll be back next week, and uh, and then I think what we're gonna do is hold on, Norma, I'm not done yet. I am. Well, next week, if you guys want to come, and then we'll decide whether because we only have two weeks left, and we're like not even close to being done. Although it does go a lot quicker, I promise. Really, it would only be another four or something like that. But or we can just say we can just conclude it with like the end of chapter seven or something like that. And then do another Gospel of John later. But it's up to you guys what you want to do because it's summertime and you probably want to go to California and do all these things. So, all right, let's uh, let's finish in prayer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Saint John the Evangelist. Thanks for all coming out. The rain is short and terrible weather.